Explore Milwaukee's past and its future, one building at a time. This is Urban Spelunking with On Milwaukee's Bobby Tanzillo and me, Nate Immig, from 88.9. Well, this week on Urban Spelunking, we're going from home this week on Urban Spelunking. I'm Nate Immig here checking in from Bayview. And Bobby, you're at home this week as well. I am. I'm at home on the west side. I know you've got your cat. I've got my dog. <laughs> I, I asked my cat to step outside for this interview so we wouldn't be interrupted, but I don't know. I don't oh, know yeah. if she'll listen. We'll find out. Yep. So we figured this week, especially as so many folks are cooped up and looking for, uh, well, maybe just have a little bit little bit more time on their hands, we're, we're digging into a really in-depth, really interesting Milwaukee jazz piece that you wrote. So it's kind of a spelunking of a Milwaukee figure, kind of a, a historical spelunking this week. Yeah, this is a guy, uh, a jazz organist named Babyface Willette that I've always been interested in. Um, what a jazz name, Babyface Willette. It's like yeah, worthy, it's worthy of like a gangster or a, or a jazz musician, right? Um, but I've always kind of wondered about his time in Milwaukee because, you know, you always heard that he was here, but you don't really, nobody ever talked specifics about that. So, you know, I did some research and it got set aside for a while, did some more, it got set aside for a while. And at some point I decided I was really going to make it happen. Um, and there's not a whole lot written about the guy. And what is written is tends to be sort of a, a regurgitation of a few facts and a whole lot of stuff that might have been myth. So I thought uh, this was an opportunity to kind of move the ball forward, as if you will, um, and just gather up everything I could possibly find about the guy. And so it ended up being you know, 8,000 words or so, which is, I would say, about four times longer than my usual urban spelunking length stories. It definitely lives up to that that deep dive promise this week. And it's so interesting because you you really followed his whole life and you were able to to you know go to the beginning to his to his death and all through his career. And you found it looks like you found all these amazing photos as well, like some real historical research happening here. Yeah, it was really interesting because a lot of the stuff that I, I don't know if it's just because uh, times and technology have changed that have made this stuff easier to do. But people for years were like, oh, we heard he was born in Arkansas. Some people said, oh, we heard he was born in New Orleans. I guess we'll never know. Um, unless, of course, you go to Ancestry.com in 2019 <laughs> and you find his birth record. And he was born in Arkansas. It was it was easy. Um, but, you know, to be fair to people back in the day, it was not quite as easy. Um, but then, you know, I was able... I was able to connect with um, somebody at the newspaper in Little Rock who helped me dig up news stories about the family. His his dad was a well-known uh, preacher in Little Rock at the time, so they actually had a lot of references to them in the newspapers um, and census records, all that kind of stuff that you know I don't think people really checked before. They just sort of read the back of the album cover and what was there was was there, <laughs> and they took that as as fact. Um, so it was interesting. It was, it was a lot of the same kind of research I do for other stories, but jazzier, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess what would people know him best for? What did Babyface, what were some of his biggest accomplishments? Well, I would say the fact that, you know, by the early 60s, he um, had switched to the organ, which was a kind of a popular instrument at the time. He, had, he started out like a lot of people as a piano player, uh, became an organist, which by that point had been made really popular by a guy named Jimmy Smith. Um and he got signed to New York's Blue Note Records, which is very respected today, legendary label. And even at the time was super respected. They didn't just sign anybody because they had, I mean, everybody wanted to be signed to Blue Note. So they had the cream of the crop. Uh, and the fact that he got signed and was able to put out two records for Blue Note um, is a pretty amazing accomplishment right there. Uh, a couple of years later, 
He also made two records for Chess, Chicago-based Chess Records, which of course was okay. well known for um, Ramsey Lewis, um, even yeah, nothing heard of them. Chuck Berry, uh, lots, tons of blues guys, you know, like Helen Wolf. Um, so it was, it's one of the sort of formative blues and rock and roll labels. So that was also pretty impressive. We're gonna take a quick break right here. We'll be back with more Urban Spelunking next. Nonprofit Radio Milwaukee is brought to you by you. A membership contribution is your personal commitment to music and Milwaukee. Visit RadioMilwaukee.org to check out your donor benefits and the thank you gifts to show off your 88.9 pride. So we had those two records for Blue Note, obviously New York City, super prominent label, still respected today. And he had this connection to Milwaukee. It wasn't a, a, a real long history here in Milwaukee, but you spent a lot of time researching his connection to Milwaukee. Yeah, so uh, he came here a lot to play because he was based in Chicago. Um, and while he was up here, he met a woman and married her. She was a singer um, around town. And um, they had a kid, and that kid lives in Milwaukee still and is a musician here. Uh, as well. So he was not here for a long time himself, a few years on and off. Um, but he played gigs all around town. I could find ads in the newspapers of him playing at clubs all around the north side um, with different groups. And I was able to find some photographs of him playing in town. One uh, from the musician Jay Anderson, whose uncle used to play bass with him. And they had a photo of uh, Babyface and Jay's uncle and, and another musician in the picture, which was pretty cool. Um, Such a cool Milwaukee connection. I, I did not know that about Jay Anderson, that he has this uh, this family legacy of music in his blood. And so interesting that he's connected with this Milwaukee legend. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. And what was interesting is uh, Babyface often ended up in the newspaper for his, uh, his troubles. He, he had run-ins with the law over the years. Um, but the thing that got him the most coverage in the Milwaukee papers and that even got him uh, coverage in Ebony Magazine was, um, or was it Jet Magazine or Ebony? Yeah, well, he got him national coverage was the fact that uh, the day he was supposed to be married, uh, his wife was in a car accident. And um, he managed to get the judge to come to their house and they got married in her bedroom like she's like laying wow. there's photos of her like in bed and he's sitting on the bed next to her because that was the only way they could get married because he was leaving town to go make a record in chicago and um and they had to they had their marriage license but it needed to have some sort of signature on it so they got the official that was supposed to do the signature came to the house too so it was sort of a big deal the next day in the paper about how like a you know woman gets married in bed kind of story story <laughs> Yeah, you got to see those pictures because they, <laughs> they're they just so interesting. And obviously, for the time, this must have been big news. I could see why why national publications like Ebony were writing about it. And getting those shout-outs in other papers, certainly uh, interesting. And this guy was really known for his, uh, you know, Babyface was known for his look, too. He had that kind of jazz look, right? Yeah. Big broad he, smile, sharply dressed. People, Numerous people said this about him. Yeah, he had the dark shades. And he always had, he was also, a, he was, I guess, sort of an amateur hairdresser on the side. Um, 
And he was known for, he was very small and he had a very youthful face, which is why they called him baby face. But he was always dressed impeccably in a suit and his hair, you got to see the pictures in the article of him with his hair, just these like amazingly like slicked back and quaffed fifties hipster haircuts that, um, that <laughs> he was apparently so good at doing on others. I'm not sure if he did his own or not, but. <laughs> so really the pinnacle for him was in the early 1960s. Of course he had these two records for blue note records that, uh, you know, were among, as you said, the cream of the crop, best of the best. He was in these circles for sure with these Milwaukee connections. He met his wife here, played here some more, but what else was, was, uh, his connection to the city? His enduring connection is that his, uh, his son, basically grew up here except for a few years in California and has lived here, uh, raised his family here, is a musician here like his dad was. Um, has So Babyface has grandkids here. And uh, so really his enduring connection is that, is just that, that his, his family has stayed here. So he had these two records and there, as you mentioned, there were some, some run-ins with the law over, over the years. He, uh, was known for having some kind of wild parties. There was um, a, an allegation of, of trafficking. Yeah, I think uh, he had a marijuana and, arrest to, to um, here. But then, you know, yeah. what happened was he moved to New York or when he was making around the time he was making the Blue Note records. He moved to New York and he got. Um, he at that point he was struggling with a drug addiction, um, and he was convicted of a knife point robbery, which uh, sent him to the state penitentiary for a few years and that basically ended his uh career with blue note who probably just thought well you know we don't need the hassle you know they had, they had plenty of people dying to record for them so he spent a couple of years in upstate new york in prison um and when he came out he went back to chicago and then that's where he connected with chess which was sort of a second chance for him um but then i think he he had some troubles again in Chicago, ultimately got ill and then died really young. He was only in his thirties when he died. Wow. Yeah. When you look at somebody's career like that, you, you see the the beginning and the end and the middle uh, sometimes is forgotten. And, you know, you hear about all these, these artists that die young and we're still seeing that today where, you know, who knows what kind of inner demons or what was going on behind the scenes where their lives took this turn. Yeah. And you can't um, help it. You can't help but wonder what would, you know, had he not had this, uh, trouble in new york would he have gone on to make 10 blue note records 20 blue note records would he become a huge star you know nobody you don't really know it's just a it's an unanswerable question and then he gets the second chance and that sort of falls apart too and you just sort of wonder what his career could have been like if he hadn't been sort of troubled by all these these problems and he was really known as as a master of the organ right i mean this was a at a time when when organ was coming back into jazz and you actually interviewed berkeley fudge who's a Another legendary Milwaukee jazz figure who kind of recalled a, a little bit about uh, about Babyface, although they the, it seemed like their connection was wasn't as they didn't know each other as as well. Maybe yeah, but it seemed like they were they had played together a few times, but that was about it. Yeah, but he talked about about this in in liner notes from his records. You write about uh, he was known for this kind of staccato uh, delivery on the organ, not these long sustained notes. <laughs> Thank you. 
The Blue Note records, especially, but also the ones he did for chess, are super. I mean, now the Blue Notes are back in print, so they're not hard to find. But the chess ones are not, and those uh, can fetch big money. And the Blue Note ones used to fetch big money before they got reissued and stuff. But that's, that's because they were super popular with collectors and DJs who would look for all this sort of somewhat more obscure, like really, really funky music to play in club, to play in like uh, jazz clubs and dance clubs in Europe and in the UK. Yeah, when I was reading the story about the organ in particular, I was reminded of both of my grandparents had an organ in the home. And, you know, it had to have been right around that time, early 60s. I, I know one of them was pretty old. And I think that was that maybe was a reflection of this this era of jazz and of the 60s. The organ was uh, a pretty a pretty hot instrument. And there were lots of artists that were recording using the organ. Yeah, it's interesting because around the same time, the organ was huge, was becoming huge in jazz, thanks to Jimmy Smith and then these other people that kind of came after him. Um, there was this thing at home where people would buy these organs um, because they were kind of easy to play. They often had like the different the buttons to make different sounds and they had like little built-in sort of drum machines, little rhythm machines. Um, so they were really kind of a way to be able to make sort of fancy music easily. Um, but also it was huge in sort of easy listening music. <laughs> yeah, so, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was you know <laughs> definitely I mean? some overlap there, I'm yes, sure, if we're talking about my grandparents. <laughs> well, right. But I mean, if you you think about all the sort of late 50s, early 60s kind of space age bachelor pad music, kind of like easy listening records, tons of organ on all that stuff. But I'll tell you, if you listen to the Babyface stuff, you'll never you'll never mistake it for that. Well, do yourself a favor and take some time and really get to know Babyface Willette from Milwaukee, a, a deep dive at RadioMilwaukee.org. We got that linked up. Bobby, has uh, this is really a special piece that you've got at on Milwaukee, some special photos and kind of a, a, a standout visual treatment. So you can really go down the rabbit hole and learn more about Babyface and Milwaukee legend. I should say, too, that I have a, a couple of other stories that are, have similar kind of layouts and we're long, not quite as long as this, but sort of long looks into moments in jazz history in Milwaukee. One is Herbie Hancock. I interviewed Herbie Hancock, um, who always credits his uh, stint at Kuro's on Third Street in the early 60s as being really his first big break in music. Um, so I have an article on that. Um, and then I wrote a really long investigation into when John Coltrane did play here and when he in fact did not play here because um, for a long time there was a belief that he had played at a place with Miles Davis at a place called the Black, the Brass Rail on Third Street. Um, but it turned out that show never happened. Um, so I did a lot of research to, to sort of prove that. And so I have those two stories as well. Well, do yourself a favor and get to RadioMilwaukee.org. We'll get you linked up to all of Bobby's pieces on Milwaukee Jazz. And this is really a great read. It's called Behind the Eight Ball, the story of jazz organist Babyface Willette. That's linked up at RadioMilwaukee.org. Podcasts here on 88.9 are produced by Kenny Perez. Handcrafted sonic inspiration comes from the License Lab with support from your membership and from On Milwaukee. You can subscribe to this podcast and all of 88.9's podcasts at RadioMilwaukee.org slash podcasts. And be sure to like and review and share the podcast so we can get them out to even more folks here in the city. It's on Milwaukee's Bobby Tanzillo. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Nate.